If you have your Bibles, will you join me this morning in Colossians chapter 2? Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 6 this morning. Hope you've been enjoying Colossians. It is pretty powerful stuff. There's a lot in here, and I encourage you to keep reading it over and over again. And uh, um, I had the first uh, 6 and 7, those two verses there as my memory verse all week. I've been just pouring over those two and the rest of the scripture because I have to preach on it. But those two trying to commit it to memory, and I've been so blessed, so blessed by this wonderful little letter. So Colossians Chapter 2. Now, briefly, uh, last week, if you remember, we saw Paul talking to this church in Colossae about his sufferings. He talked about how he was suffering for them, for the sake of the church. And we talked about how he was kind of bearing the brunt, uh, if you will, of the, of the the afflictions of Christ for the sake of the church, and how many Christians throughout the world right now are bearing the brunt, maybe so we don't have to. I don't know how all that works, but how many persecuted brothers and sisters are suffering for the sake of Christ right now. And remember to keep praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters. We talked last week about the mystery of God that had been kept hidden for generations and ages. And the mystery was Jesus, but specifically Christ in the believer, our hope of glory. Remember, Christ in you, the hope of glory we talked about last week. Jesus literally living within us, transforming us, and making us into the people that he wants us to be. And by the way, remember, he made us filthy rich, gloriously rich, as the scripture says, when Christ lives in us. So wonderful stuff in the book of Colossians. Well, if you guys will uh, stand with me out of reverence for God's word, and we'll read our passage this morning. So Colossians 2, starting at verse 6. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Starting there in verse 6. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. Hmm. They've received Christ Jesus as Lord. Now they've got to continue to live in Him. This is what it looks like to become a Christian. We have to receive Christ Jesus as Lord. We have to exercise faith. Faith that takes Christ deep into our life. We have to receive him into the mind, into our attitudes and motives and our actions. We have to receive Christ into all of who we are and let him transform us, transform us. Jesus is the glorious gift of God that he holds out to us, his beloved son he offers to us, but it's a gift that has to be taken and received, right? If I go to your house and knock on your door, hey, God, I got a present for you. Okay, but you don't open the door, you don't take it from my hands, you do not receive it, you're not getting it. You can't have it. I can leave it on your doorstep, but if you still don't receive it, right, you're not getting it. We have to receive this great gift that comes from God. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift, the gift of God is Christ Jesus our Lord. Wait, I mess it. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can't forget that part. Hmm. So Jesus that brings the eternal life, he is, he is the gift. Hmm. And when we bring Jesus into our life, we have eternal life. Huh. Because he is eternal. He comes in and he gives us life everlasting. He gives us heaven. Hmm. No longer on our way to hell. Okay, Because that's why Jesus came, to save us from hell. So he bled and died 
for our sins at the cross, right? He paid our debt, and he offers us forgiveness. But we've got to receive him. Now, notice what does the scripture say? We're to receive Christ as what? As Lord. Mm, Lord. We're going to speak more about that in a moment because I think it's very important to point out Last week in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 27, talks about the mystery of God, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, Jesus living inside the believer. Okay, when he comes in, he transforms. Once he's received, he comes in and he transforms us. The theological word I want you to know is called regeneration. Regeneration. So when Christ is received, he regenerates us. He makes us new. He brings us from death to life. I used to work at this carbon plant in Red Bluff, and we regenerated carbon. It would come in. We had, I remember one account was from Coca-Cola. Huge bags of granulated carbon, little black little things of carbon. And they would filter the water for the Coca-Cola products. And the, the filter basically sucks out all the nasties out of the water so they can make some nice Coca-Cola for you, right? Well, eventually the carbon gets so full of all the nasties in the garbage, it's called spent. It's spent carbon. It's no good. It's worthless. So they would bring it to us, and we put it in this huge kiln and burn it. Very high temperatures, and it would burn out all the impurities, and it came out the other end, and it was called regenerated carbon. <laughs> well, we likewise are spent, full up all the sin, all the nastiness. But when we put our faith in Christ, when we receive Jesus, he regenerates us, right? He makes us new. He washes away all the impurities by his precious blood. Jesus called it being born Again, a new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, for your notes, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. We've spiritually been made new. But it all starts when we receive Christ as Lord Receiving him. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who received him, there it is, receiving Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So when we receive Jesus, okay, there's three theological things that happen. These are, these are cool terms I want you guys to know. First off, we're justified. That means we're forgiven. We're declared righteous before God. Then we're regenerated, made new when we receive Christ. And then... We are adopted, uh, made children of God. Because before, we were technically only God's creation, not his children. Remember, as we learned last week, we were enemies of God. Uh, might have been two weeks ago. We were alienated, verse 21 of chapter 1. Alienated from God and were enemies in our minds because of all evil behavior. But all that's been washed away. Now we're adopted as children of God, part of God's family. What an awesome truth, right? Hmm. And now we can call God Father and enjoy the privileges of being a kid in God's house, right? How awesome is that? All the blessings and, and then an inheritance. Because if we're a kid, if we, if we are in the family of God and God's our Father, He has an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. Just waiting there. Wait to be poured out upon us the moment we enter into His presence. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Remember, we're going to receive Christ into our lives, but as Lord. I think it's important. For some, I fear, receive Christ, but not necessarily as Lord. I bet if you talk to a lot of people, it'd be like, oh yeah, I went to a Billy Graham thing, or I went to church, or I prayed a prayer with a pastor or something, and I received Christ. But did you receive him as Lord? It could be a little different, because sometimes I, I think that people might receive Christ as a personal assistant. I receive Christ as my personal assistant. He's there to help me out whenever I need him. And when I don't need him, I don't talk to him. Hmm. It's not quite the same as Lord, is it? <laughs> I've received Christ into my life to make me feel a little better. So I put him on the outside. I tack a little Jesus on the edge of my life so I can feel a little better. It's like a genie in a little lamp. And I can, you know, help me, Lord. And then I put him back in the bottle. Sometimes I'm afraid that we receive Christ in such a horrific manner, really. That we tack him onto the edge of our life. But remember, my dear brothers and sisters, Jesus did not die and suffer for the sin of ours, for the sin of the world, and raised from the dead to be tacked onto the edge of our life and become a little thing, that we, like our little assistant, right? 
<laughs> He's the king of the universe, and he gave everything to save us. Jesus bled and died not to be on the edge of your life, but to become your very life. To become all things to you and to me. To become our portion and our cup. Jesus died so that he could become our very existence. Our very existence. To live in us as Lord and as Savior. I went to the Greek, looked up the word Lord. It's the word kurios, kurios. It means supreme authority. Just as you have received Christ Jesus as your supreme authority, you could read. It also means controller. Just as you've received Christ Jesus as your controller, it can be translated master or Lord. Well, I don't know if I want Jesus to be my supreme authority and my controller. That sounds kind of extreme. Oh, yeah, it is. That's the whole point, right? Because we need an extreme conversion that brings us from the, the kingdom of the devil into the kingdom of God. Right? We need an extreme transformation that takes us from spiritual death and darkness, unable to ever reach God, to bring us into that place where we are a child of the Lord and we have access and we're going to run into his throne room anytime we want. Spiritual life. And we can never accomplish these things on our own. We need the power of God. And the power comes when we submit unto the authority of Christ, the supreme authority hmm, over our lives. And it's a struggle sometimes, right? Because I kind of want to do it my way. And we sing about it. I did it my way or whatever. I had the song, you know. People love to do that. And that's the battle. And that's the point where we have to come to a place of surrender, where we let it go and give it all to Jesus, to be Lord, to be Master, to be everything to us. Hmm. And that's where we find all the peace, right? When you stop fighting with God <laughs> and you just let Him have it all, that's where the joy and the peace and the purpose fills your life. Hmm. Now and forever, right? Now and forever. Is Jesus your supreme authority today? Hmm. See, your controller? <laughs> or do you control your life? Sometimes we receive Christ as Lord, but maybe we fail to continue to live in Him. Let's read verse 6 again. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue, continue, there it is, to live in Him. I think that's the key to the Christian life. Many say, well, yeah, I want Jesus. I don't want to go to hell. They pray a prayer, but that's kind of as far as it goes sometimes. And they fail to continue to live in Jesus. Hmm. Not living for themselves, not living for sin any longer, but living for Christ. Hmm. We have to persevere. We have to keep on keeping on. Keep the faith every day and night and in the trouble and in the hardship and in the struggle and in the pain and in the death and in the good times. We have to continue to live in Jesus. Yeah. And if you failed in that area and you feel like you're not living in Jesus, well, come on back, right? Just turn around and run back. His arms are open wide. Verse 7. Rooted and built up. Okay, so you've, you've received Christ Jesus as Lord. Continue in Him. Rooted, picture that, rooted and built up in Him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Hmm. Rooted and built up. I got a vivid imagery going on in my brain right there. I think of trees, right? I think of my backyard and I'm blessed. Some of you have seen our big oak trees. We have these two just magnificent oak trees in the backyard. They're really big. But I tell you, they will produce like a million acorns sometimes. Now some years there's like three or something. It's weird. But sometimes there's like millions of acorns back there and I have to rake them all up. And if I don't get them all raked up, well, we smash them down when the ground gets really soft in the winter. And they're like halfway down into the soil. But in the springtime, when it warms up, what happens? Hmm. They start to take root. A little root goes down, a little stem goes up. They're being rooted and built up in my backyard. And I have to go out there and pull them out. <laughs> if I miss some or I'm lazy and don't really go out there, and I let them go too long, 
Oh, man, those little dudes are just taking root big time. I can barely get them out. They break off. you got to dig them out. It's a real pain. <laughs> but what if I left them for months and years and years? They would become a mighty oak tree. They'd be like the other big oak trees in my yard. And though those big oak trees, they have must, they must have a massive root structure. I could grab a hold of them and pull and push with all my might. I'm never pushing one over. I cannot do it. I can hook my minivan up to it with a chain. I know a minivan's not that impressive, but still, I'm never moving an oak tree. You can take your big gnarly pickup truck if you want to drive, but it's not pulling those trees out. They are rooted down into the ground. They won't budge. Hmm. Isn't that a great picture of faith in Jesus, though? A life that receives the Lordship of Christ, and you continue to live day and night, year after year, trusting, failing, getting up and trusting again. Obeying and loving, growing and maturing. Going through pain and struggle and death and all the, and the good times. Doing it all with Jesus year after year. You're going to grow some deep spiritual roots down into Jesus. Right? Read your Bible and live your Bible. Pray. Stay close to the church. Be with the people of God. Grow some deep, powerful roots. So then when the wind blows, you're not going anywhere. Because you're rooted in Jesus, right? And the devil will come and he'll hook his little minivan up to your life and he'll try to pull, uh, pull you out and unroot you. I don't really think the devil drives a minivan, by the way. I think he drives an AMC Gremlin. And that's why they went out of business. Anyway, but he cannot pull you out, right? Because you're rooted down into Jesus and he can pull and tug and huff and puff and do whatever he wants, but you're rooted in Christ. And I was thinking about this, and I got the imagery of these oak trees in my brain, and I thought of Isaiah 61. Jesus quoted the beginning of this passage in, this, uh, in the uh, synagogue at the beginning of his ministry. and talked about he's going to set the captives free. That's why he came. And the scripture was fulfilled in their hearing. And if you read on, this Isaiah 61, verse 3, at the end there, it says, And they whom Jesus will save will be called oaks of righteousness. Oaks of righteousness, <laughs> deep roots into him, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And I look at my trees all the time and be like, wow, Lord, I'm so blessed. Thank you for these amazing trees and the shade and all that stuff. So when you're a planting of God and, and you've got your roots down deep, the wind can blow and the devil can do whatever he's doing, but you're like just a display of the splendor and glory of God. People look at your life and be like, man, how do you do that? Even in the hard times, you keep loving God, and you're just a display of the, of the splendor of God, uh, an oak of righteousness. Ah, pretty cool, pretty cool. King David said in, in Psalm 16, 8, he said, I have set the Lord always before me. That means he's always looking at God. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Right? I'm not going to move because I'm fixed upon God. So are we when our roots are deep in Jesus. How are your roots today? Huh? Are they strong? Are they, are they shallow? Or are you feeling unrooted a little bit? Keep growing those roots. Keep trusting. Keep obeying. I tell you, when you obey God, your roots go down a little deeper. Oh yeah. When you say yes to Jesus, when you have an option of doing something wrong or doing something right according to the Bible, you do it right, oh, you just watch that root start growing down deep. <laughs> And another thing, according to the scripture here, how to keep your roots deep. What does it say? Uh, be thankful. Look at verse 7. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthen his, uh, in the faith as you are taught, having good teachers. Staying close to the Bible. And overflowing with what? Thankfulness. Right. Thank overflowing. It's another vivid picture in my mind. Overflowing. Remembering all that God has done for you, and you're like a fountain overflowing, overspilling into the streets of thanksgiving and praise and, and love for God. Remember the cross. That's why we take communion. We remember do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. We got to remember. And then we praise and we worship and we celebrate and we grow deeper roots and we trust him more. Remember his resurrection and his victory. Remember how he's transformed your life as he has come in and regenerated you and adopted you. And made you new. Remember these things. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. If anybody knows the little song. Yeah. Huh. This is why we teach our kids how to pray. 
Mommy, why do we pray before dinner? Because, little Johnny, we want to learn to be thankful to Jesus. Because he gave us food, he gave us life. At the end of the day, we gather, we praise the family. Why? Because we want to say, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you. You have given me life and breath. You've given me love, forgiveness, and grace. Think of all the, the myriad of blessings we have. Oh, we overflow. We overflow with so many blessings. Let's overflow with thankfulness. I open my closet. I don't have one shirt. I got to pick what shirt I'm going to wear. How blessed am I? We want it to bubble over. You want to be at work and say, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> As we say around here, blessed be Jesus, right? We say that anytime, anywhere. Let it bubble over. Even if it's just in your mind, or it could be out loud. Either way, we want it to overflow with thanksgiving. And I just find the more grateful I am, the more happy I am. And the more ungrateful I am, the more unhappy I am, right? It's like God made us that way. Hmm. Interesting to be grateful to him. And in there we find peace and joy, right? Appreciation. We don't want to be spoiled little brats running around in the kingdom of God acting like we, you know, we deserve it or something. That would just be stupid. Huh. You remember Job? Huh. Oh, poor Job, right? Oh, he suffered. He suffered. But he also could be thankful and praise God in the midst of the pain. And that's where the real test is, right? It's a little easy to be, oh, everything's going great. Thanks, God. <laughs> but when you're Job and all your children just died, all your wealth has been taken away and your flesh is going to get torched here in a minute, what did he do? He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And said he worshiped God. He was blameless and he was upright, and yet God put him through the ringer. He did. He tested him. There was something else going on with, between the God and the devil, too. Job didn't really understand at the time. But uh, why did Job be, or how could he be able to praise God in the midst of all the agony and all the pain? I believe it was because he had deep roots in God, right? He spent time with God. He loved him and he obeyed him, and those roots were deep and the wind could blow, but he was a sturdy oak of righteousness. Hmm. Think of King David. Go to the Psalms and join us on Wednesdays because we're going through the, the life of King David and we go back to the Psalms where he was talking about those things. It's really cool to connect the two. But we, we the beloved Psalm 23. It's a reflection of David, David's deep troubles and pain. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me, right? So his life was threatened all the time. But yet in the midst of the death, he was praising and trusting God. What does he say later on? He says, oh, even in the presence of my enemies, you prepare a table before me. It means you feed me, you provide for me. Even in the midst of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil and my cup. What? Overflows. <laughs> he saw the overflowing blessings in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. And the enemies were waiting outside his house to kill him. He had to flee for his life and all the battles he fought and all the things that he did. He's, he praised. He was thankful. He was spilling over with praise because God was spilling over blessings into his life. Huh? Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Remember the Apostle Paul, he's writing here to a church, this church in Colossae, and they have a heresy that's coming their way. There was these false teachings that were starting to creep into the church, and so Paul is kind of combating these things. And apparently there were these philosophies, there was these traditions, but he says they're hollow, they're empty, and they could deceive you, so you've got to watch out for them. Now, we don't fully understand the heresy, but it looks like a, a beginning of what's called Jewish Gnosticism. Well, we'll talk more about that as we go through the book. But um, it's like they felt there was a secret knowledge of God that could be attained through other means other than Jesus. That's a big problem, right? So Paul is always pointing them back to Jesus. And they, these false teachers are talking about worshiping angels and doing all these ceremonies and things. And, and, and Paul's writing and saying, don't, don't do that. Just focus on Jesus, right? 
You'll be taken captive by these hollow and deceptive philosophies. But I also reflect on this and think, well, how much does this affect our life today? How many hollow and deceptive philosophies have been in the world since Adam and Eve left the garden, right? Because the devil was deceiving then, and he's been foisting deceptions on this land, this world, since then, and he's just gotten better at it, and he's more masterful. We mentioned atheism, I think it was uh, last week. Because he kind of mentions the same type of thing, this fine-sounding argument. Don't be deceived by that. And he thinks, oh, yeah, this sounds, when your professor says in college, this is a... Oh, okay. And our children are often so misled. But atheism is a hollow, and deception, hollow deception because it is totally void of God. There is no God there, right? And that will only lead people to great despair. Oh, atheism is such a despairing, hopeless thought. Philosophy, worthless. How many false religions are out there? We, we forget that we have cults in our own town. We've got the Jehovah's Witnesses. We've got the Mormons in our own town. And there's a, something called Pangea also way out there. on the. You know, if you're going to, to Chico through 99, uh, through Los Molinas there, there's a big chrome monolith on the right-hand side. I remember pouring concrete there one time. That's a cult called Pangea. And that's like a center hub for the West Coast or some ridiculous thing. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. Hopefully they're not doing much over there. But we have these things, these, these hollow and deceptive philosophies that are in our land. And I, just reflecting on some of these things, hmm. they hold people captive, right? The witnesses and the Mormons, they have an outward appearance of godliness. They have an outward appearance of Christ. They do. But inwardly, as you look into them, you find that they are indeed hollow and void of truth and the power of Jesus to transform lives. And they leave people in darkness while giving them a form of spirituality. That's very dangerous. Think of the nation of India. I mean, you could pick any nation probably. But India, how, there's a lot of people crammed into that country. Huge population. They have been enslaved for generations and generations by Hinduism, right? This hollow and deceptive philosophy with just like an unknown number amount of gods and no one... Listen to Ravi Zacharias. Go find him on YouTube or something and listen to him. He was a Hindu. He was so empty. And then he found Jesus, right? He knows all about that, that type of religion. But it enslaved, the devil has created things that enslaves multitudes of people on the planet. Even in the church, right? Things can creep in. That's what Paul's writing about. I was thinking too, you never go to Mount Shasta? Jennifer and I went up there some time back, and we just for the day, I'm not sure I'm going to go back for the just sheer hanging out pleasure of it, because we sat in a little cafe, and through the window we saw three crystal shops. And they're not selling crystal china. It's like you worship them or pray to them or whatever you do, these meditation-y things. Totally Hinduism going on there and Buddhism and all, blah, blah, these weird things. I'm like, what is going on with this poor little town? We should pray for that place. Pray for the churches there. But it's a hollow and deceptive philosophy that keeps people bound, right? And yoga and Islam and Buddhism. I mean, there are all kinds of things that go on and on and on talk about all that. Even in the church, how many churches have left the truth of the word of God and are now looking at the basic principles of this world in verse 8, right? And they're letting the, the principles of this world dictate how they should live and what is right and what is wrong and letting God, instead of God telling us what is right and wrong, right? So we just want to know the truth, fix our eyes on it, and then we won't be deceived by these cunning schemes and hollow deceptions of the enemy. Hmm, help us, Lord. And Lord, we pray for those who are stuck in them in our own town to be free. Right? We want revival to come to Red Bluff. I want to see these cults dry up. We can have Christian churches there. <laughs> we'll use the buildings. We'll just put new names on them. But we want those places to be absolutely gone from our land. They're deceiving people. Verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness, I like this, all of the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Hmm. The Apostle Paul keeps reminding the church here that Jesus is God, right? All the fullness of God, of the deity, lives in Jesus. When he walked on the earth, 
He was in a body, 100% man, but 100% God, the fullness of God dwelling in Jesus at that time. And of course, he's always had the fullness of God because he is God. I think he wanted to let them know that when he came in the flesh, he was still God. Some of these heresies probably said, well, he wasn't really God when he was here. They monkey around with all kinds of weird things, so that's probably why he mentions specifically in the body. Chapter 1, verse 15, if you recall, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. Hmm. Remember, uh, we talked about how God doesn't have a body. He is spirit, as Jesus told the woman at the well, John chapter 4, that God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Very good. Um, so, And Jesus never had a body for all eternity. Spirit, existing as spirit. But when he came to earth, what's called the incarnation is God became flesh and walked among us. So then he could suffer and die and bleed for our sins. Hmm. Praise his name. All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. That's why Jesus could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right. You want to look at God? Just look at Jesus. That's who he is. God in the flesh. And remember we talked about in chapter 1, there's only one God. This is one of the marks of the cults, these deceptive philosophies. They almost always try to strip away the deity of Jesus, and they mess around with the character of who God is. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Right? Only one God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, it says. So there's one God, clearly. So they like to make Jesus another God, we've talked about. A, a little lesser being or something like that. Hmm. But that's not what the Bible tells us, is it? It tells us that Jesus is, has all the fullness of the deity living in him. He's totally God. But we understand yet though there be one God, he does exist, of course, in three co-equal persons. As God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Separate and distinct, yet totally one. It's a mystery, but that's who God is. That's what the scriptures reveal. And I think if the cults can monkey around with who God is, then we can't really be saved because you're not trusting in the right one. They've made a false God in which they're trusting in, right? A false Jesus, and that's very dangerous. So we need to know the truth. Verse 10, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Mm, thank you, Lord. He's the head over every power and authority. On earth and everything, yes, because he's the king. But I think what it's talking about there is the angelic world. Because in chapter 1, verse 16, talking about Jesus being the creator of all things, heaven on earth, and heaven, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. And I think what Paul is doing here is he's combating that uh, lie from the heretics saying you have to worship angels in order to get this secret knowledge of God. So he's letting them know that Jesus is way above all the angels, guys. Don't worship the creation. Worship the creator. He's setting him straight there. Hmm. How many people today still worship the creation? And gave up worshiping the Creator. A lot of a lot of a lot of religions will do that for sure, but I think we're forming a new religion in our world actually in the modern era with uh, the whole we think of the whole green movement and let's save the Earth, Mother Earth is all going to die and we have to save it. And we, you know, I'm not saying don't recycle or anything. You know, we you know we should do things to take care of the Earth. God gave us um, authority and we're stewards over the Earth. Indeed. He said, take care of it. Rule over it. We should take care of it. However, I think that some people are going to such an extreme that it's actually becoming a religion. <laughs> it's becoming something that they're worshiping Mother Earth, the Creator, uh, as our Creator, and not the, the Creator Himself. So anyway, be, let's be careful with that. Um, now, he mentions we have fullness in Christ. That's pretty cool. How is it that we have fullness in Jesus? Or I think it's the idea that without Christ, we're not full we're incomplete, right? Hmm. Without Jesus, we're incomplete, and that's why the world chases and runs after all the things that they do, trying to be fulfilled, but they never find it. Huh. So when we receive Christ as Lord and continue to live in Him, now we find fulfillment, completion in Christ. Thank you, Lord. Because hmm. if you're not complete, you're, you're hurting, right? There's an emptiness in the soul. 
And you're, you're not whole. So Jesus makes us whole. Jesus makes us complete. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. He, is, he really is the answer to everything, right? How many, I think of the young people when they try to commit suicide or the drug, and you know they're hurting and they're broken. It's because they're not complete. And then they grow up to be adults who are not complete. And then they raise children. And they pass on that, right? And that brokenness for generations. But Jesus can fix all that. All that. Verse 11. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Let's read that again. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Okay, so the Bible talks here about circumcision of the spiritual kind. If you remember the Old Covenant, it was a big deal. God commanded that the, the Jewish people be circumcised. It was a literal, physical sign in their flesh that said that they belonged to God. So they had to do it. It was part of the covenant. However, God always said this, though, through the prophets. He didn't want them just to be Jewish people outwardly. He wanted them to be Jewish people inwardly, who love God. So he told them on many occasions, circumcise your heart. Right? <laughs> you don't just do a show of it on the outside, but be circumcised inwardly, getting rid of the sin and trusting in me. So here we see that circumcision is brought into the new covenant, not in the flesh, but in the spiritual sense. And here we see it is a cutting away, a removal of, of the sinful nature, of the sinful nature. Some of your Bibles will say flesh. It's, a, it's the same thing. It's an old term, flesh. It's interesting, the NIV said sinful nature, and then when they redid the NIV, they went back to flesh. So, yeah, go figure. But anyway, it's a, it means the same thing. But I like the idea of sinful nature because it speaks of a nature of mankind. Um, we're born into sin. It's, it's our nature, right? But it is a fleshly human thing, but it's not outward flesh, so we don't want to be confused there. That's why I like the term sinful nature a little better. And the Bible tells us that we're all born into sin. Okay? It's called original sin because of Adam and Eve. We're born into sin, and we pass that on. Our kids are not born little saints. They're born little sinners. And everybody is born with a sinful bent, right? Like the barometer of your life is bent or points towards sin. Hmm. It's not bent towards God. Nobody naturally is like, well, I just love God from the womb. You know, I didn't. I didn't need Jesus to forgive me or anything. I was all good, right? <laughs> the heart is bent towards selfishness. That's why we have to teach our children to share, right? <laughs> Nobody has to teach a little child how to be selfish. We're born pointing away from God. That's the, that's the sinful nature. That's the fleshly nature, not wanting to yield to God. But then we see verse 11. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature of the flesh. And not by, by man, but done by God, a spiritual divine act. It's a cutting away, a removal of the domination of sin over our lives, right? Because we were covered by sin. It enslaved us and Jesus sets us free by getting rid of the power of sin over our life. Mm. That's a pretty vivid and graphic picture, isn't it? It's a cutting away of that which dominated our life. Jesus is setting us free. That's why we read in the book of Romans. Let me read to you from Romans 6. I, Romans 6 is one of my favorite chapters, whole Bible. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 17, it says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, right, when we were dominated by the sinful nature, you used to be slaves to sin, you could do nothing else, we were bent towards sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching which you were entrusted, which is the good news of Jesus. And you have been set free. Notice that. You've been, I got it highlighted and underlined in my Bible. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Mm. Because Jesus cuts it away. He removes it when we receive him and continue to live in him. We're set free. Then yeah. Romans 6.6, 6, just a few verses back, it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin, that's the sinful nature of the flesh, that the body of sin might be done away with. I like that. Done away with. That we should no longer 
be slaves to sin. Mm. So Jesus sets us free. The natural bent is bent the other way now. (laughs) Jesus grabs that barometer and now we're going to focus towards God. How cool is that? And we can look the other way. We can do sinful things, sure. But, but now the heart says, I want to love God, right? Oh, sure, you can sin, but, but I want to love. And then when I do sin, I'm like, oh, forgive me, Lord. I was, I'm sorry, Lord. I feel the conviction in my heart because I'm new. I'm transformed. I'm changed. I'm regenerated. So now my barometer is pointing towards God. Oh, thank you, Lord. We can nev- never do that. We can never do that on our own. But I'm a good person. Well, wonderful. But good people, remember, don't go to heaven. Only people who have received Christ Jesus as Lord and continue to live in Him go to heaven. Being born again, Jesus said, right? New life. Christ then becomes the supreme authority. I can choose to sin, but I don't have to if I've been set free. And that runs contrary to some teaching and preaching in our land. Some good saints, for sure, love the Lord, but they, so their theological viewpoint will say that, well, yeah, I'm forgiven, but I, I still have to sin in every, every day, word, thought, and deed. But is that what the Bible really tells me? Does the Bible tell me to keep sinning? Every time I keep reading my Bible, it keeps telling me to stop sinning, right? <laughs> and it tells me right here, that's why I highlighted it, that I've been set free from sin. That Jesus has done that work spiritually of circumcision and cut it away and removed it. So now I'm not dominated and now I can be a slave to righteousness. That's good news. That's good news. I don't know how many Christians I've heard say, well, I'm just a sinner. I've heard it many times. And I feel like saying, well, then why don't you stop? I know it's not always so that easy, but, but partly that's a theological viewpoint. That says that, okay, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, yes, I'm born again, but I'm still just a sinner saved by God's grace. Indeed, you are a sinner saved by God's grace. And don't misunderstand me. You can be a, a saved person in sin. People do it all the time, right? But my question is, do we have to sin? Do we have to continue to sin when, the, when Jesus has done the work to set us free? I think I, when I read my Bible, it says I can, I can be free. And I don't have to be a slave so I can't just say, well, I'm just a sinner. I can say, you know, I'm redeemed. I'm washed. I'm purified. I'm sanctified by the blood of Jesus. And now I can live a life that honors him. Now I may sin from time to time. Well, forgive me, Jesus, and keep on walking with the Lord. The life of holiness. That's what I love about the Church of the Nazarene, is we talk about holiness. And it's a, it's a big feature in our denomination. Because we believe that indeed you can live a holy life. Why do we believe that? Because the Bible says so. That's why, right? <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just making something up, right? I can't do that. i got to go with what the Bible says. <laughs> and back in chapter 1, if you look at verse... Uh, well, I'm in Romans here. Let's go back. Chapter 1, verse 22 says that we are presented before God as holy, without blemish, and free from accusations. He covered and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. That's why Peter can command this, this amazing thing. In chapter 1 of, of 1 Peter, verse 15, for your notes, 1 Peter 1, 15, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. God is a holy God, and He wants us to live a holy life, a righteous life that honors Him. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it says, It is God's will for you to be sanctified. Hmm. To be sanctified means to be set apart and made holy for God. So that's the very will of God, that we be set apart and we live for Him, free from sin. Hmm. When we receive Christ as Lord and continue to live in Him, That's called initial sanctification. The process started when we said yes to Jesus. We've been set apart. We belong to Christ. But there's a bit of a process that we're all in the midst of right now, right? We begin to grow then and progress in our sanctification. Because we we grow the roots. 
We get built up. We love God more. And I think that's why, why Paul could talk to these Colossians. And then and flip over to chapter 3 with me. Chapter 3, he's talking to the people, he just said, whom were uh, circumcised of their sinful nature. That means Jesus broke the power of the dominating force of that sinful nature over their life. They don't have to be slaves to it anymore. But then there's a part that we play within the process of sanctification. It is a work of the Holy Spirit, but we have to yield unto it to make it happen. Right? Jesus will do the work, we just have to facilitate it by our choices. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 5. Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. That's the sinful nature, the flesh. Put to death, he says. I think that means you hand it over to Jesus and you confess it and you repent, you turn away from it. Right? Whatever belongs to your sinful nature, put it to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Notice that, past tense. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self. that's being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Hmm. We're going to get to this, so I can't preach that sermon right now. But... He tells us to rid ourselves and put these things to death. So we say yes to Christ. We receive him as Lord. And now there's the process of, of being sanctified as we surrender and give these things of the sinful nature over to Christ. Hmm. And what is it saying? We're being renewed in the knowledge and the image of the Creator. What is the image of God? It is holiness. Right? That is the, the essence of who God is, is his holiness. That's why the angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Three holies for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's his essential nature. Yes, he's sovereign, but that's not his essential nature. His essential nature is holiness from which his sovereignty flows and his love and all the other things, the characteristics that God has. So we're being renewed in the image of holiness, sanctified as we surrender these things to Jesus. So the question then for us this morning is, do you have anything in your life you need to put to death that belongs to the sinful nature. Jesus has broke the power over your life. Now you've got to confess it and make sure you get it out of your life. Fully repent, fully turn, fully surrender. Fully let it all go and just say, I'm just going to obey you, Jesus. I'm not going to hold on to anything from my old life anymore. Hmm. And our final verse, verse 12 having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. He's saying here that this circumcision of the sinful nature really happens, uh, and, well, it happens inwardly, but the outward picture of it is that at your baptism. You're buried with Jesus in baptism. That's why we go under the water, right? You're being buried. And it's a picture of dying with Jesus to my sinful self. And the water's there, a great picture of washing our sins away. We love baptisms. And then when you come out of the water, okay, baptism doesn't save you, remember, but it's the symbol of all that God has done. And as you come out of the water, you're raised with him to life. As Jesus was risen from the dead, he takes us from spiritual death into spiritual life. Cleansed, forgiven, a child of God. Yeah. Hmm. So, as we go to prayer now, what has God said to you this morning? As you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, are you continuing to live in Him day and night? How are your roots? Are they growing deeper? Are you being strengthened? Are you, are you overflowing with thankfulness? Or are you pretty stingy with your thanks and your praises? Is there anything from the sinful nature? lingering that needs to be put to death. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your continued love and grace in our lives. Oh, where would we be without Jesus? Where would we be, Lord? So thank you. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your forgiveness. 
And Lord, I pray over this this body of Christ here. And as I look upon them, I know that they have received you, Christ Jesus, as Lord. Help us to live, though, under that lordship. To let you be our supreme authority. Please, Lord, please. Help us to continue to live in Christ every day. Lord, I pray for deeper roots for myself and for the people of God. That we could so live close to you that those roots are so deep we're oaks of righteousness and no one can budge us. We never sway because we're trusting in you, Lord. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be overflowing with thankfulness. Forgive us for the times we're not thankful. We take for granted our many blessings. Help us to be a people of praise and thanksgiving. Overflowing, overflowing, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you are God, the fullness of God living in you, Lord. And we thank you that we have completeness in Christ. We're no longer empty. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the spiritual circumcision done by your great hand over our life to set us free from the dominating power of sin, Lord. It covered us and we couldn't get free, but you set us free, Lord Jesus. And now you have become our master. And we reject the sinful thoughts and practices. And we live for you. We live for you, Lord. Please make very aware any thought, behavior, motive, action from the sinful nature, Lord. Just set sirens off around those things, Lord. Let us see that clearly in our heart and life. And let us confess those sins and fully turn. And we pray for your sanctifying power to cleanse us, Lord. And let us live a sanctified life, a life that's holy, a life that's pure. We cannot do it on our own, but through your power, we can do all things, Lord. So we thank you. We praise you. Bless your people, Lord Jesus. In Christ we pray. Amen. <laughs> I, I just get into it and then we're just and it's a habit of closing